listening to Embassy City Church's audio podcast. We pray God speaks to you through this message and his word today. For more information on our church, please visit us at embassycity.com. If you have your Bibles, I want you to go to the book of John chapter number 11. We are in a series and we're continuing a series entitled Menace to Society. How many people were here last week for part one of Menace to Society. So we, we, we asked a question and we answered it, is Jesus a menace? The answer is yes, okay? And uh, if you didn't hear that message, you can go on uh, the Embassy City app on Android or iOS, or you can also uh, go to podcasts and listen to that message. Uh, we're continuing uh, this weekend in the Menace to Society series. Uh, uh, and I want to read some scripture to you. Some of it will be familiar, some of it won't. There's a part in here that I'm going to read that in 22 years of preaching, I've missed it. It's been there hiding in plain daylight, but I just have not seen it until today. So I want to read this to you, and then I'll give you the title of the message. I'm starting from John chapter number 11, the 45th verse. And I'm reading through John 12 and verse 11. Just so you have a context, where I'm going to pick up and start reading is on the heels of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. Here's what it says. Many of the people who were with Mary believed in Jesus when they saw this happen. What happened? Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. But some went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Then the leading priests and Pharisees called the high council together. What are we going to do? They asked each other. This man certainly performs many miraculous signs. If we allow him to go on like this, soon everyone will believe in him. Then the Roman army will come and destroy both our temple and our nation. Caiaphas, who was high priest at the time, said, you don't know what you're talking about. You don't realize that it's better for you that one man should die for the people than for the whole nation to be destroyed. He did not say this on his own as high priest at the time. He was led to prophesy that Jesus would die for the entire nation. Not only for that nation, but to bring together and unite all the children of God scattered around the world. So from that time on, the Jewish leaders began to plot Jesus's death. As a result... Jesus stopped his public ministry among the people and left Jerusalem. He went to a near, he went to a place near the wilderness to the village of Ephraim and stayed there with his disciples. It was almost uh, now time for the Jewish Passover celebration and many people from all over the country arrived in Jerusalem several days early so they could go through the purification ceremony before Passover began. They kept looking for Jesus But as they stood around in the temple, they said to each other, what do you think? He won't come to Passover, will he? Meanwhile, the leading priests and Pharisees had publicly ordered that anyone seeing Jesus must report it immediately so they could arrest him. Six days before the Passover celebration began, Jesus arrived in Bethany, the home of Lazarus, the man he had raised from the dead. A dinner was prepared in Jesus' honor. Martha served, and Lazarus was among those who ate with him. Then Mary took a 12-ounce jar of expensive perfume made of essence of nard, and she anointed Jesus' feet with it, wiping his feet with her hair. The house was filled 
with the fragrance. But Judas Iscariot, the disciple who would soon betray him, said, that perfume is worth a year's wages. It should have been sold and the money given to the poor. Not that he cared for the poor. He was a thief. And since he was in charge of the disciples' money, he often stole, from, he often stole some for himself. That's just rogue, okay? You're still offering. You're just rogue. Jesus replied, let her alone. She did this in preparation for my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but, but you will not always have me. These next three verses are key. When all the people heard of Jesus' arrival, they flocked to see him and also to see Lazarus, the man Jesus had raised from the dead. Then the leading priest decided to kill Lazarus too. For it was because of him that many of the people had deserted them and believed in Jesus. Dang. I have never paid attention to that for 22 years. So the title of this message, please write this down, is The Lazarus Effect. I want to talk to you today about the Lazarus Effect. Bow your heads, let's pray, shall we? Holy Spirit, help us to be like Lazarus. Amen. I want you to imagine with me that we are friends of friends of friends that know Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. We're not good friends with Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, but we have mutual friends of friends of friends that know Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. We've heard about this Jesus and the fact that he's been doing these incredible miracles. And it seems like it's been this guy that has just kind of showed up and been having a pretty effective earthly ministry. But, but now we feel a little bit closer to it because we're friends of friends of some friends that know some people that know Jesus. Maybe you're the friend of the hairdresser that does Martha's hair. Maybe you're the friend of Lazarus that plays video games with him. Insert my own personal preference into this story right there. But, but we're not close to Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. We're just friends of friends of some friends that know of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. So we hear about the fact that Lazarus gets sick. We hear about the fact that they've called Jesus to come help. We also hear about the fact that Jesus has taken his own sweet time. Anybody beside me ever been bothered, a little bit frustrated with the fact that Jesus happens to be taking his own sweet time? Honest church, anybody beside me like, uh, how come you're not here yet? Why are you taking your own sweet time? If we're friends of friends of friends that know Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, then we start kind of mumbling to ourselves and kind of talking like, well, I thought they were closer than that. He should have showed up sooner. I mean, this was his, like, dear friend, right? And he still didn't come? That's just kind of a crazy thing. But he waits for two days before he travels there, which takes two days, which means Lazarus is now dead for four days. 
We hear that Jesus is showing up. We get the news that Lazarus is dead, so we show up for the funeral. We bury, mourn over Lazarus. We're crying with our friends who are friends of friends that know Mary and Martha because their brother is dead. And here it is later, four days later, Jesus happens to show up. And the word goes out, yo, Jesus is here, so we all show up for this. Whether we have good intentions, bad intentions, or we're just a little bit nosy. We want to see what the reaction is going to be from Mary and Martha when they talk to their friend Jesus about the fact that I called you in enough time for you to save them, but you didn't want to show up on our convenient timetable. Once just roll in whenever you want it. Jesus shows up and he does something that's absolutely amazing. He says, show me where you buried him. And they show him where he was buried. He says, hey, roll away the stone. Roll away the stone. And they go and roll away the stone, but they're thinking to themselves, this guy stinks. He's been stinking for four days. We, we really don't want to be bothered with this now because the man is dead. You should have came when he was alive. I, I know that you've healed two other people in the past, but, but they only been dead for a few hours. They didn't have time to stink. I, I like my drama to be resolved before it starts stinking. Anybody besides me? I, if you're going to come through, Jesus, I need you to come through before rigor mortis sets in. I, I don't have time for this whole forensic. I don't have time for flies and maggots. I don't need that deliverance. I want fresh, you know, body still warm deliverance, you know. They've just recently expired, you know. Do what you did for the, the, the little girl, Talitha Kumi Arise. She had just been dead for uh, maybe a few hours. Do what you did for the little boy, same day that he died. They put him in a casket. Jesus didn't even have to touch the dead boy. He touched the thing that was touching the dead boy, and he came back to life. Do, do that type of miracle. I don't even need you to touch the situation. As long as you touch something that's touching it, I know that your power can come through there. I need one of those type of miracles. Please don't bother me with the decaying, stinky stuff. Because once it starts stinking, I don't want to be bothered no more. I've already moved on. I have pictures of him. I've already made a collage on my Facebook of happy memories. And Jesus is like, no, I insist, roll away the stone. He rolls away the stone. When he rolls away the stone, he says three words. Changes everything. Three words. Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus who's been dead for four days, gets up off three words. Not 33 words, not 3,300 words. This wasn't a tarrying service. Oh, Lazarus, get up. I believe that you can get up. The supernatural power of God will get you. No, three words. Because when you have authority, you don't need a lot of words. Just like that. Three words. He gets up. He's bound in grave clothes. He has a death napkin over his head. And this man found a way 
to hop his now alive self up out of the grave. Now, now Martha's there, Mary's there, immediate family's there, and then the friends are there, and then the friends of the friends are there, and then we're there. Do you see this? The guy comes up. And Jesus goes, loose him and let him go. He didn't even bother untying him. Jesus is like, I didn't do it. I didn't wrap him up. I'm not going to unwrap him. I told you I was coming. Y'all didn't believe me. So you do it. They unwrap him. We are witnesses to this. That dude's the truth. Can you believe what you, did you see what he did? Did you take pictures? Did you get that on your camera? That was, I can't believe, he did that. We're all huddled up. This is unbelievable. Now, do you believe that he's the Messiah, though? I don't know, but I know he's a prophet. I'm sorry. L listen, them other two resurrections, those were cool. But this four-day stank resurrection, that's a whole different level. He's got to be somebody. So while, while we're kind of huddling like that, there are some other people huddled. Can't believe that this happened. And they run off to the high priest. And they tell the high priest what happened. Now, you would think if somebody's been dead for four days and, and you hear that they got resurrected by a guy, that no matter what you've been feeling about them up until this point, you would have to respect the fact that, listen, I don't understand who this person is and, and their theology kind of rubs me the wrong way, but we're not going to deny something is very special about this individual. That's not the sentiment they had. The sentiment they had is, if he keeps going on like this, Everyone's going to believe in him. And that's not good for us. If he, keep, if he raises somebody else, if, he didn't, if he's doing it after four days, what if he gets somebody up that's been dead four months? We got to stop this now. This is getting ridiculous. And they go to the high priest, and the high priest makes a statement that he doesn't even understand as a prophetic utterance. He says, y'all don't know what you're talking about. Because the concern from the religious leaders was, if this keeps happening, everyone's going to believe in Jesus. That's going to cause a conflict with Rome. And Rome is going to come destroy our temple and erase and eradicate our entire nation. Caiaphas' response to that is, listen, y'all don't know what you're talking about. Here's what I wanted to let you know. Um, it's better for one man to die for the entire nation than for an entire nation to die. Because he was high priest at this time, it carried more weight. See, see, the high priest spoke on behalf of all of Israel. This is a type and shadow of who Jesus ultimately is. He's prophesying at this time that, that one man is surely going to die for the entire nation, and not just the nation of Israel, but for every person on earth. And they start plotting his death. What you think about this, the, the, the power of resurrection started an assassination attempt on Jesus' life. 
resurrection began a plot for Jesus' death. They put out word that anyone who sees Jesus needs to come and tell us. They opened up a hotline. 1-800-WE-SAW-JESUS. Any tips or information leading to the arrest and apprehension of said Jesus, there might be a reward. Scene. Jesus stops his earthly ministry. He's no longer out in the public. He goes down to Judea, which is in the middle of Jerusalem and Judah, and he goes down into Ephraim, and he says, okay, I'm going to hang out here, and I'm not going to be going out in public anymore because now the threat is real. I know they've tried to kill me before, but now we're close to my death. The threat is real. He removes himself from the threat. But the hit's already gone out, and they're looking for informants and snitches to tell on Jesus. Chapter number 12 introduces us to the season of Passover. Six days before the Passover, Jesus comes back into the city. And whose house does he go over? Lazarus's. I'm pretty sure he's welcome. I mean, if you raise your friend from the dead, I'm pretty sure you get to spend the night. He goes to Lazarus' house. He sits down to have a meal. At the table, there's Mary, Martha, Lazarus, the disciples all hanging out. Mary does this incredible, extravagant thing where she takes some expensive oil breaks this box, anoints Jesus' feet, dries her feet, dries his feet with her hair. It's an incredibly extravagant and intimate moment, something that we talk about a lot. Stupid Judas makes his statement. They should have saved that and sold it to the poor, gave it to the poor. You're a thief, Judas, shut up. You steal, bro. You need to hush. I just love, because you know, John wrote this in his old age, so he had time to think about it. He was like, Judas had the nerve to say <laughs> that we needed to give this to the poor. Every time I looked over in that offering box, he was taking something out of it. <laughs> that's, that's, the, that's the benefit of old age. When you lived a while, you're like, mm-hmm, you a thief. I mean, you ain't godly at all. I'm just write this right here for anybody that'll pay attention to that. So the friends of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus find out Jesus came back to the house. So their friends call their friends who call us. They say, hey, man, that same guy that resurrected Jesus is back at the house. We got to go back over there. That is amazing. Jesus, you back? Lazarus is just sitting there, alive, just having something to eat. Nothing out of the ordinary. He's just alive, just eating some food. Chilling out with Jesus. And somebody calls 1-800, we saw Jesus. They called a high priest. Hello? Yeah, he's back. No, I'm dead serious. 
visual confirmation, he's back. And he's at Lazarus' house. It's the same guy he raised from the dead. He's over there. Lazarus is there too. They're having dinner together. The resurrector and the resurrected. Both of them at the table together. Eating. Having a good time. Enjoying themselves. Eating fish. Some bread. They, they look like they're having a, a ball. They hang up the phone. High priest says, we found him. We got visual confirmation. Where is he? He's at Lazarus' house. Where? Lazarus' house. The dude he raised from the dead? Yeah. We need to kill him too. <laughs> I'm going to go slow. I'm going to go slow. What? What was he doing? What did he do? Why do you want him dead? They want him dead because he's alive. They don't just want him dead because he's alive. They want him dead because of how he's alive. They didn't have a problem with his first life. When he was just a friend of Jesus, they didn't want him dead. They didn't have a problem when he died. There was no uproar that he was dead. But the fact that he was back alive because of who made him alive instantaneously put him on the same par with Jesus. Now, remember in chapter number 11, what did they say? We have to kill him. On behalf of the whole nation, he got to die. Find out Lazarus is alive and eating dinner with him. They say, you know what? Include him too. Think about this. Lazarus becomes a menace to society by being a, recip a, a, a recipient of resurrection. So he's a threat just because he's sitting up and not laying down. Some people are more comfortable with you where they left you. Some people are more comfortable with you if they've already had their funeral for you, read the obituary over you, and categorized you and put you away. Once you come back to life, you've now inconvenienced their picture of you bothered by you. Let, let me tell you who I'm talking about before you start naming like Sally or Billy or any other of your faux haters or their because no weapon formed against you will prosper. Every tongue that rises up against you in judgment, God will condemn. So there is no way anybody from the outside can, can impact what God's purpose and destiny is over your life. Let me tell you who's really mad. Say and he's not a little mad. He's a lot mad at you for just being here today. The fact that you're sitting here is a menace to the kingdom of darkness's society. The fact that you are alive, sitting up because of something Jesus has done 
is enough to make all of hell go crazy. And I, and I really need to take my time in, in sharing this with you. And, and, of course, we have three points because that's just how I roll. If you've experienced any warfare, if you've experienced any spiritual attack, if you've been asking yourself, I don't even understand why I'm going through this. What am I doing? See, see here's the thing. I've been saved for 22 years, and, and uh, I'll just admit this because this is a hot church. We're honest, open, and transparent. There have been times in my, in my walk that, that I have, uh, uh, and I know it's not, uh, I know there's no way that it can, can happen now, but when I was young in my faith and warfare was high, I would ask, is there a way to have a truce? Because I'm an ambassador of Jesus, and ambassadors, you, you know, they, they discuss conditions of peace with foreign entities, and they find ways not to nuke each other. And so I'm just like, hey, hey, Satan and darkness. Um, listen, I'm, I'm just trying to do the will of the Lord. That's all I'm trying to do. <laughs> I'm just, just trying to do. But, like, I, have, I haven't written any books. You know, I don't have no television ministry. You know, I'm not, I'm not sitting down, you know, evangelizing Jay-Z, Beyonce, Brad Pitt, and Angelina Jolie. So can you, because, like, you do that to, like, big people that are doing things. That's, you should attack them. I'm just trying to live my life and make sure my kids don't die and I don't kill them. Um, trying to love my wife and be faithful to her. And I'm just preaching because he told me to. I didn't even ask. He put it. I'm not even trying to see stuff in the Bible. He just keeps showing it to me. If he didn't show it to me, I wouldn't even, I wouldn't even say it. Half the stuff he showed me, I don't want to say. So I'm just saying, can we have a truce? If there's a, is there a way to have a truce with the kingdom of darkness? I might be open for it because I don't like this warfare. And I found out the hard way, there's no truce. Like, even if you never did anything, hear me, the fact that you're sitting here is enough to bother all of hell. The fact that you've survived stuff that other people should have died from. Let me take it a step further. The fact that you died and now are alive again is enough to bother all of hell. So what I'm really trying, I hope this is encouraging to you, that, 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 that you should probably throw a punch back. Because he's mad at you for coming to dinner. <laughs> she sits on the second row and said, he got to eat. <laughs> I mean, man's alive. He might as well eat something now. Three points to this message. Three points. Point number one, please write this down. And please put the header like this. Three ways we are just like Lazarus, okay? Three ways we are just like Lazarus. Point number one, we were dead, now we're alive. Here's what it says in John 11, 11. Then he said, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but now I will go and wake him Jesus knew he was dead. His disciples didn't understand that he was dead. But Jesus knew he was dead, and he said, I'm going to wake him up. Here's where and why we are just like Lazarus. Colossians chapter number 2, verse number 13. You were dead because of your sins and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. 
Then God made you alive with Christ, for he forgave all our sins. We were dead, now we're alive. The fact that we were dead in our sins, but now we're alive in Christ is enough to put all of hell, pun intended, on fire. There's an anger against the enmity that is between God and man with, 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 with what has happened with Jesus' blood being shed on the cross that now all of hell is like, why is this person even alive? And we have a testimony that angels don't have. I've been redeemed. I have a testimony that, that, that I was dead in my sins. I was disconnected from a relationship with God. I'd had no spiritual awareness, and now I have a relationship with God. I'm alive. That's enough for all of hell to come against you. We were dead. Now we're alive. Point number two, please write this down. We were bound... Now we're free. Here's what it says in John 11 and 44. And the dead man came out, his hands and feet bound in grave clothes, his face wrapped in a head cloth. Jesus told them, unwrap him and let him go. Here's what it says in Galatians chapter number five, verse one. So Christ has truly set us free. Now make sure that you stay free and don't get tied up again in slavery to the law. Now, if we're going to be really, really technical on this scripture, Paul is talking to the Galatians about being tied up in Jewish law and religiosity. But if we widen up that scope, which Paul does in Romans chapter number six, he's talking about coming out of sin and the tie that had us and the fact that we are free now. We were bound, and now we are free. Now, now, let me tell you, this is my favorite point, my second favorite point out of the three. It's because of this reason. The fact that you're alive is a great thing. But if you don't get free, it's not a great thing. See, I've heard people of faith boast in their resurrection, but never get free. So happy to be alive, but have never considered that they needed to be untied from some things, that they, ever, that they needed to be unwrapped from some things, that they might have something still over their face that prohibits them from seeing the fullness of the picture that is Jesus Christ and his love for us. So I don't want to just celebrate the fact that you're resurrected if you're still going to walk around bound. It's not enough to be resurrected if you don't get free as well. Can you imagine Lazarus coming out of the grave? Jesus saying, loose that man and let him go. And he goes, no, I'm good right here. Well, you don't want us to untie you? Man, I'm just so happy to be alive. But you can't raise your hands. You can't even walk. You don't even have a spiritual walk. You have a spiritual hop. Nobody calls church hopping church walking. 
Only bound people are inconsistent enough to always have to hop around. I came straight from the throne room. That ain't nobody's notes, so I don't know who that. I'm going to just leave that right there. I, listen, thank you, Holy Spirit. I am not smart enough to have come up with that. That was, listen, I felt that when it came out. I, that good old ghost is down there talking. Come on here, ghost. Holy Ghost, okay. Wow, that's, mmm. I'm gonna need that marinate real quick. If you hopping around, it's because you bound. You can't stay in one place. You can't walk with consistency because you're so happy to be alive that you didn't know you had to get free. I'm glad you're redeemed. Now get untied from that. Get loose from the generational curse. You, you can't become resurrected and still be nasty. Like, you can't have a bad attitude and love Jesus. I'm alive, but you're mean. You should probably get some of that. You got some tape on your ankles. There's some toilet tissue on the bottom of your foot. You just, just wanna help, I just want to help you get free. We, we, we were bound, now we're free. I love Paul's admonition. Don't get tangled again in it. Once he brings you out of it, don't get tangled again in it. Don't go back to that. You, you, there's nothing that you want to do with your grave clothes except hang them up as a testimony that that used to be something that you were wrapped up in. But you don't put them back on. We were bound, now we're free. Point number three, please write this down. We were seatless, now we're seated. Say that again. We were seatless. Now we're seated. John 12 and 2 says this. A dinner was prepared in Jesus' honor. Martha served and Lazarus was among those who ate with him. Let me tell you something. This is an incredible testimony. Lazarus was, listen, can you imagine walking up to Lazarus and saying, man, what was you doing last week? And he was like... I it's funny. Where did you do? I was on vacation, and we went to Orlando. That's cool. And what did you do? Oh, no, we just probably, we staycationed. I, I stayed home, too. You stayed home yet? I was dead. I was dead. Now I'm alive. Be, be, before Jesus came, I didn't have a place to sit. I only had a place to lay. Listen, this ain't Jesus talking no more. This is us. Before Jesus came, we didn't have a place to sit. Eternally, we were destined to only have a place to lay. Death was the only option we had before Jesus intervened in our circumstance. Here's what it says in Ephesians chapter number 2, verses 4 through 6. But God is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much, that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. Let me tell you why hell is mad at you. It's, it's because you got up. You got free, and you're seated with him. 
Let me tell you why the religious leaders were bothered with Lazarus. It's because he was sitting with the person that resurrected him. The resurrector and the resurrected were both together seated enjoying a meal. And here's what scripture says. God's done the same thing for all of us. That we came into a relationship with Christ. God brings us out of the dead and brings us into a relationship with Christ. Then he raises us up all together and seats us together in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. If you want to know why you're being uh, attacked, why, why, why the enemy is going to be in relentless pursuit for you until you go back home to heaven, it's because you have a place at the table. And he cannot stand it. You're seated. Positionally, you have been seated with Christ Jesus. And here is the the the. the the crazy thing about the thinking of the Pharisees. Chapter number 11, they said, we got to kill. We got to kill Jesus because that whole resurrection thing, that has to end. But then they look over at Lazarus and go, we need to kill Lazarus too because that whole testimony thing has to end. I want to let that marinate real quick. The Pharisees' plan was, let's kill the guy who did it and the guy who received it. Let's take them both out because they're both a threat. It's not just that Jesus is a threat. Anyone that's received from Jesus is a threat because you can't shut them up. Even when they're shutting up. Lazarus wasn't testifying at the table. He didn't call everybody over so he could say, I was dead and now I'm alive. He was just at the table. He, he hadn't even opened his mouth. You can read all the Gospels, then all of the other writers in the New Testament. You can read every commentary. There is not a peep out of Lazarus' mouth. Who is Lazarus? A friend who died and rose again. The end. Do we have one statement from Lazarus? Has anybody interviewed him? How did you feel about the whole resurrection experience? Nobody says nothing about Lazarus. Lazarus, is this a threat for showing up? You want to know why the enemy hates you? Because you just keep showing up. You don't even have to open your mouth. The fact that you just keep showing up. So... So you're a menace. There's nothing you can do about it. We were dead, and now we're alive. We were bound, and now we're free. We were seatless, and now we are seated. And if we walk out the door with that testimony, all of hell is going to be threatened. If you sit down with somebody and tell them your testimony, all of hell will be intimidated. And let me tell you something. Everybody in this room has a testimony. You all know me. I love simplicity, and I love getting down and synthesizing stuff down, breaking it down to the very last compound, as we would say, when I was growing up. Let me tell you something. There's only two testimonies in the entire earth. God either saved you through something, 
or he saved you from something. If I interviewed everybody in this room, you either have a testimony that God saved you through it or God saved you from it. So we need the testimonies of God saved me from some stuff. I love those testimonies. I gave my life to Jesus when I was seven at a camp, and I've been saved ever since. Never been drunk, never did no drugs. I was a virgin until I got married. Loved Jesus, always been faithful. I love him. You still have the testimony that you were dead and now you're alive. You're bound, but now you're free. You were seatless, and now you're seated. We, we need that beautiful, never did nothing save me from testimony next to the I've been through everything testimony. I was drunk. I got 19 heroin tracks in my arm. I got shot nine times. I was in prison for 11 years. Guess what? Translation, you were dead and now you're alive. You were bound, now you're free. You were seatless, now you are seated. The Lazarus effect is that what the religious leaders under demonic influence tried to stamp out 2018 years ago has not worked 2018 years later because you'll never get rid of the testimonies of people that have been resurrected by Jesus. Your testimony is one of the most powerful things that you've ever been given. And don't edit it for public consumption. Don't try to tailor it to soften it. If you was bad, just you was bad. And if you wasn't, you just wasn't. It's powerful both ways. And if you can have that sitting at a table with Jesus, then you can have it sitting at a table with an atheist, with an agnostic, with an unbeliever, with a skeptic. It is potent, powerful, and it's going to make you dangerous. The Lazarus effect has affected us all. But anybody beside me glad that you've been redeemed? Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Thanks for listening to this week's message. If you would like to know more about Embassy City Church, please visit us at embassycity.com and follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Embassy Irving.